Welcome to episode 16 of the Permaculture Pimpcast, the only permaculture pimpcast out there where we discuss homesteading, permaculture, security, you name it, preparedness, all of it, all under one banner, and we do it from a pragmatic point of view. How you doing, son? Pretty good, Dad. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Man, it's been a it's been a really rough, interesting couple of days. But before we get into that, let's talk right out of the gates, y'all. Tip of the day. Tip of the day. Learn your knots. And what do I mean by that? We were talking a while ago, a while back about homestead knots and how you need to know them. Folks, some of these things can really save your life. I mean it. Knowing how to do, there is a difference. If you do a bowline right, it works right. If you do it wrong, it can be deadly, especially as an anchoring knot. If you get it wrong, I remember years ago I was rappelling off this uh, tower at Fort Bragg, and we did this sort of thing in our off time. And I remember there was a guy up there, he was an officer, and he called it a West Point whatever. I don't remember what he called it exactly. And what he was referring to was the way he tied this knot. And it was basically a bowline that was backwards. Well, if you do it wrong, it's basically a slip knot. It'll slip, but it won't catch. And also, some of these knots make your life a little bit easier, like a Prusik knot. I use that knot all the time. Learn these knots. And then, you know, think about the times where you could be doing it, where you're, okay, let's say you do watch TV or you're watching YouTube or whatever. Pick a knot. Learn it. And in fact, if you want to learn it really good, do it with your eyes closed. You should be able to do it in complete darkness. I'm saying this because this is important, y'all. I do these all the time. And of course, I can do them in my sleep, upside down, backwards. I mean, one of the byproducts of being a U.S. Army sapper, but at the same time, on a farm, on a homestead, I use these knots more here than I ever did in the military, ever did in mountaineering, ever did it. You know, I use these knots. Look, and I'm not trying to gross anybody out. Even do them. I've even made rope with toilet paper. If you doubt me, if you don't think it can be done, ask my buddy Darren at Hacks for the Homesteader because I'm sure he does it too with toilet paper. You can actually make rope while you're on the can. And you know what? I think maybe I'm going to actually do a video like that. In the, so, okay. okay. I mean, your you shoelaces are right this. there, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> your shoelaces are right there. Look, I'm not going to ask you to film that one, bro. But um, Yeah, you're going to have to set up the tripod for that, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not, <laughs> no team effort be, on this. No, I'm not going to be doing it on the can. <laughs> you might have to edit it, too. But I'm going to show people how you can do this with, you know, with toilet paper. How you can take any kind of fiber and make a right-hand laid rope with two strands or with three strands. You could even do more if you wanted, but three is probably the limit. It's actually the best. Well, you're also your shoelaces are also a square knot, if you tie them correctly. It's a square knot with two quick releases. So once can you be. start, yeah. yeah, it can be. So if you look at it like that, the knots start not, becoming easier. Not entirely. It depends on how you tie your shoes, but nine times right. out of ten, it's not a square knot. The way I tie them, it's a square knot. It. I think it should be a square knot. No, it, it lasts longer if it's a square knot. Yeah, but when you look at the way most people tie their shoes, right. it's it an really, overhand. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a square knot, but it can be and it should be and it would hold ten times better on your shoes if you knew how to tie a square knot. 
So, and really, like William said, if you can tie a square knot on your shoes, which is not what most people do, you'd find that your laces don't really come undone. They really don't. Yeah. It works like a champ if Especially you tie a square knot. Boots. So in every way possible, tie a dog. On. Learn how to tie these knots, y'all. I can't express this enough. In fact, the reason why I'm even bringing this up is because, and we're getting into the farm news now, is, you know, we were working on a pig yesterday and it yeah. fell off this stupid gambrel. Yeah, the tendon broke. This was a big pig too. Yeah, this pig was every bit of 400 pounds. And, you know, just a little shout out real quick. I want to say, you know, what's up to Nate from the Kramer life. Also, mm -hmm. uh, Ben and Denise were over, they were helping out too. And that's uh renewed homestead. We got Jason from sow the land. And of course us, we were all working on this pig and thank God these people were here because for me and William to try to drag this thing out, we were smart about it this time. We got him on high ground. Yeah. And, um, we and made the shot him before he hit the bottom of the mountain. Right. Right. So we were ready this time and it was helpful a really, really helpful to have other hands on board. But even with yeah. the two of us dragging it down the mountain, man, we would have had to quarter him up or quarter her up. Yeah. Gut it, skin yeah. it, probably all right there in the woods. But um, having that extra help was Maybe we should helpful. do a field dressing video. You know, we probably ought to. Because there are a lot of people who, who get deer out there and only come back with the back straps. Maybe yeah. we should do a field dressing video. We probably ought to, man. And then if you're dealing with a bigger animal, how you can – you can literally cut it in the primals right out there in the field. I mean, there's a way to do that, but it's not. I mean, there's some debate on whether uh, whether or not that's an ethical way of doing things. But um, okay. With that said, we got we got the pig butchery down. That's one of the latest things. Um, got a lot of shirts in the mail. I'm wearing one of them now from Grumpy Acres. Uh, got some soap in the mail also. Yeah, got some soap from uh, Shelly from uh, Two Old Crows, and that soap is awesome. It's not available yet. Um, but she sent us some yesterday. Yeah. Your mom, yeah. man, I'm telling you what, she was tripping when we, we, the whole oh, yeah. family gathered around when you broke that soap yeah. out, everybody <laughs> we gathered was, around. we're like, okay, which one do you like to smell? And then we're like smelling it all. And every last one of them were sublime. Her like, packaging is fantastic. Yeah. The packaging is cool. I mean, the pack, when I opened it, I thought she had like purchased soap and sent it to us at first. It was, but then I remember well she done. was sending us soap. Yeah. And, and I love the artistry that she did also with it where, you know, it's not just a regular bar of soap, man. This thing looks like she put some work in and it and it smells fantastic. Every one of them. Yeah. Like the one I'm using right now, it's called Sexy Beast. But the <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't call it sexual chocolate. I'm sure that's going to be a different flavor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Shelly. There's your next shot. sexual chocolate. You could give it some crazy names like they do with that. Uh, what's yeah. that one? What's that one soap? Uh, brand that they have out there. They have some like some real oh, butch names. Um, I can't remember the name Duke's, of it. Yeah, Duke Cannon. Yeah, Duke Cannon. Yeah, Duke it. Cannon. They come up with some crazy stuff. Yeah, you come up with sexual chocolate. I'll pedal that thing till the cows come home. Yeah. But um, I'm telling you what, just right. I can't wait till she finally pulls the trigger on that. Yeah. Because there's not be cool. there is not a soap I've seen in a store. Shelly understands. In fact, she saved our bacon. I want to cover this real quick. That's twice now. She's she and her husband saved yeah. our bacon in the past when it came to these festivals. We show up, didn't have any way to cook this pig, and they took it over for us. And then the next festival, we had no idea how to set the table up and make and it Shelley, look appealing. We gave her like nothing, man, and she made that thing look like Martha Stewart showed up and yeah. hooked it up. So yeah, she showed up and knew that we needed. She's help. like, yeah, I can't remember yeah. what she says. Like basically, you guys are a couple of nicks. <laughs> I, I got, got this. this. <laughs> Just step back. 
So um, I'm looking forward to when she busts bust that out. I can't wait because... But uh, hope, I'm trying to talk her into doing a subscription box. So that way, I mean, completely selfishly, yeah, I would... I would sign up for that just so I never have to think about purchasing soap. Again. Well, it's the same thing we do with our coffee. I mean, we buy yeah. it from Nicole, uh, the hollow roast coffee. That's exact. Look, we don't just sell it. Yeah. There's a link down below by the way, but yeah, getting a subscription to the coffee is also helpful. Right. But we, that's exactly the point is that, you know, these are people I know people. I love people I care about. And these are products I need anyway. I mean, I buy we buy lots and lots of coffee. We drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, mom's gonna lose her mind if she didn't have her coffee. Right. If there's a supply shortage on coffee. Well, she's on that man. she's on that uh, thing with Nicole where it yeah. comes in every month. So we don't just we don't just sell this stuff, y'all. We actually use it. And I guarantee if she ever decides, well, when she's ready to pull the trigger on this soap, I don't know what she's gonna do for other customers, but I know for a fact we're gonna be one of them. Yeah. And everything we smelled. And I haven't had a chance to try it. And by the way, Shelly, if you're listening, yeah, he pulled that stuff. I'm like, well, let, don't don't use it yet. I'm, i got to make a video about it. And he's already got this thing out, and he's up in the shower. <laughs> yeah, so, I already had it up in the shower. So he grabbed Sexy Beach. <laughs> like 30 minutes after we received the package. <laughs> yeah, so other farm news, Um, you know, we don't get out much, y'all. We really don't. And oh, rice knives are up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, rice knives are up. They're in uh, pink. Yellow and red. There's more technical names for you guys, but as far as I'm concerned, it's red until it's not red, and it's yellow until it's not yellow. Yeah, I so don't know what pink, yellow, chartreuse and, red. and all that stuff is, man. I, I don't know anything called about marigold. that. <laughs> yeah, man, that one fisherman from way back when I was a kid, man, he, w- he would talk about a chartreuse lure. I don't even know what that is, man. <laughs> if it ain't primary or secondary <laughs> colors, man, I don't know what that is. Well, we got out today, y'all. Our niece is in town. Uh, from New York, and uh, she's a little sweetie, and we took a little time to go zip lining today. That was something of a disappointment. Yeah, it was Kendra's little sister. Kendra lives here. She's a permanent fixture on this farm, and she works at the farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, her sister's in town. Her younger sister is in town. Yeah, we went zip li- zip lining. Um, but there were only three like zips. They kept kept calling them zips. There were only three zips. The one we did in Mexico was uh. And there's probably 12 12 of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, here we are zipping across. I mean, yeah, they were long. You go fast and it's, it's all good, but I'm like three of them for that price. Yeah. I thought that was a little bit of a rip off. So, uh, yeah, man. And then I tried, usually I don't pay full price for anything y'all. I mean, if there's a way to haggle, I'm now let me take that back. When I'm buying stuff from something, if I'm buying something from y'all, I will gladly pay more. But when it's anybody else or people I don't know, look, it's just good business to try to make a deal. But these people wouldn't have it. Right. Like big, big companies and stuff like that, especially when you're negotiating with people who have no, no stake in the company. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I couldn't even give them. Yeah. I couldn't even get them. They're acting as if they're losing the money directly. Right. And then the pictures and everything, man, they they just kind of rip you off. And every time it's just a real, it's a real, uh, Having filmed an entire YouTube with the iPhone, I know how good iPhone photos can be. Yeah, and here we are looking like, I mean, I wasn't even looking at the camera, but that's that's beside the point. So anyway, if you come zipline into Asheville, just be warned that, um, yeah, we're not exactly happy with this outfit. So it, in fact, I, I would say it was just a downright ripoff. I really do. Yeah, yeah um, it's designed for people who are never going to be back in Asheville. Well, they know now. Yeah, yeah they know now. <laughs> so... um. Yeah, that's what it is. So anyway, 
On the other end of all this, y'all, we've been up to our eyeballs. William and I did a pig the other day, and then we did a pig every day, or not. We did a more in-depth, very, look, I'll put it this way. The best storyteller I know on YouTube is Sean, the modern yeoman. He's whimsical. He's really good with, he has a very good command of the English language. And the best videographer in the way he tells the story is Jason from So the Land. So Jason was out to try to do a comprehensive, a more comprehensive homestead butchery thing. Look, y'all, here's one of my biggest complaints. Um, I don't mean to spend so much time in this segment, but it's one of my biggest complaints when it comes to butchery on the homestead. The end thing right now seems to be to hire some highfalutin butchers. They come out there. I can do all the stuff they do. That's no problem. But most of that does not apply on a homestead. Think about it. Do you really need to know how to make capicola, mortadella, prosciutto, all these other highfalutin cuts? No. When you're processing a pig, what you need to know is, number one, how to dispatch that animal properly, how to treat it with total respect, how to use every bit of it. Now, you probably learn all that stuff, but also, I don't think these people, by and large, are teaching, okay, here are your primal cuts. These are what you do first. Now, let's break these primals down into other cuts, and this is how we do it. And here's how we make our bacon. Here's how we make our sausage. That's really the full extent of what you need to know out of the gates. Now, I can do all these high-end techniques. I've done all these high-end techniques, but I'm not going to teach that in a basic class. It's foolishness because you're not, it's hard enough to retain everything without adding all these other things on top. So Jason came out here. We've talked about this for a long, long time, probably better part of a year at least, and it finally gotten that done. So Jason's going to work on it. And then when the time's right, he's going to. Well, Dad, you didn't mention what it was. It was a pig butchery. I think I yeah, did mention that. Yeah, pig butchery, work, like class, online uh, yeah, online workshop. Right. It'll be an online thing. And Jason is going to do a PDF um, that you can follow along man, with, all, that, all types of stuff. Well, he is so incredibly thorough. I was glad. I, I couldn't have been more overjoyed to work with him. When I saw what he did with that chicken butchery, if he can be yeah. that detailed in the chicken butchery and leave no stone unturned, I knew when he showed up yesterday and he had a script and he was like, okay, here's how we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. I said, dude, you're in charge. You tell me what to do. You tell me what you need. And then I'll we'll take care of everything else. Right. He also, um, oh, crap. I just forgot what I was going to say. Well, Sorry. It doesn't. Well, son. Yeah, real good. <laughs> good thing. This ain't podcast. live radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're learning. Oh, right. Yeah. This this workshop is also with the intent of maximizing the amount of meals from your pig. There you go. That, that was the point behind out. this. It was to try to get as many meals as possible from your pig versus going for some of these other fancy cuts that you don't necessarily need, especially right. if you're in a survival situation. And plus, everything I... Everything I teach in this video will apply to any animal, whether it's a sheep, goat, even a cow to a certain extent. Right. It's That's the beauty of doing it this way. And just like William said is, for example, you can have your bone-in pork chops or you can make some baby back ribs and make them all boneless. Now, it's a matter of preference. Make but the pork chops boneless. Right. You can make If you make all your pork chops boneless, then you get baby back ribs. And a lot of people don't know where those come from. So... You should get a St. Louis style ribs the way I do it. And then you also get baby backs. Whereas in a regular, um, you know, with anybody else, you're probably going to just get one, two sets of ribs off an entire pig with me. You get four and you get more meals out of it. Like William right. said, the idea, like even with the hams, 
Well, yeah. we don't leave it yeah. as an entire ham. We break it down into muscle groups. And that I am doing this from a homestead butchery level. Forget about all that nonsense where everybody's talking about, oh, let's make all these fancy cuts. No, forget all that bougie nonsense. You need to know, is that, did I use that right? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah, forget all that bougie nonsense, whatever that means. I'm not even sure what the word means. I think I know what it means and it might apply. But the truth of it is, forget all that nonsense. We need to be doing things at a homestead level. And that's exactly what we're focusing on. Okay, we spent entirely time, too much time on that se- segment. I wanted to get into, you know what? I don't think we did. I don't think we spent too much time on that because I've been getting into the news segment too, but I always try to pick news that affects the people that are most likely going to be listening to this podcast. Um, and that has to do with like the world news. Like right now, AgFacts came out with, um, check this out, son. Lowest cotton yield, and I know a lot of people probably know this by now, but I want to put an exclamation point on this for a couple of reasons. Uh, The lowest cotton yield since 1868. What do you think about that? You better be wearing that polyester, Jack. (laughs) The thing that keeps popping out to me is like 1868. They about got rid of slavery for the most part. Well, Well, technically, technically, technically 1865. Right. So it should have technically been all gone by that period of time and that's when they had their lowest like that's what we're competing with <laughs> that's well also there was i don't think anybody's accounting for it but there was also reconstruction after the civil war and there was a whole lot of corruption going on with that and that's a story unto itself but the point i think i think the bigger point being here is you have that combined with um and it was reported, oh man, it might have been a couple of weeks ago. I remember it came from uh, Pinball Preparedness, and his information is usually pretty spot on. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard him get anything wrong that he didn't correct himself, So, or whether it was a prediction he made. But I remember him saying that the wheat harvest, and I was going by his numbers, and I think I even confirmed his source a while back, but this is pretty much going by the top of my head, um, that the wheat harvest is typically 35 to 40 bushels per acre, and lately... It's been zero to five. So now combine that with this cotton harvest, which is lousy, uh, the corn harvest, which I heard numbers on that the other day. And it was, it wasn't okay, but it wasn't great either. And then add in all these other things that they're piling on top of it. That seem like a lot of coincidences to you. I mean, we're in 2022 and we're comparing our production back to when they had slave labor. That's how crappy our production is at this point. But we have these so-called improved GMO or, um, yeah, GMO products and seeds and all that stuff that are supposed to be drought resistant and just Roundup ready and uh, pest resistant and all that. Well, that's failing right now. Everything's failing. Everything's, <laughs> Everything is failing and right I think, now. And I honestly believe it's by design. But look, folks, remember, we don't offer any problems without throwing out solutions. And that being... Exactly what we're doing, not only in this podcast, but also on the YouTube channel. You can't build drought resistance if the seed doesn't reproduce. If the plant doesn't reproduce, you can't build drought resistance. Bam. And then also our methods that we're using, and that's really going to be part of our topic today, is that the methods we're using, by and large, we've, we've forgotten the old ways. That's exactly, going right back to the butchery thing, that's exactly why I have bandsaws. I have two bandsaws. I have, what, four sawzalls? Something like that. You have never seen me use them in a video when it comes to pig butchery. And then we can even overlay that with what we're talking about is that we've forgotten the old ways that used to work. They work for time and memoriam. 
And we better get back to them. And that's exactly the solution here. So the problem is, I just demonstrated what the problem was. Well, the solution is without a doubt getting back to the old ways. Because frankly, we just, we've just lost our way. And we're too content. And that's really the theme of what this podcast is going to be about. And when we get back, we're going to talk about it, y'all. Well, son, a lot of people were asking if you could somehow link some of the, uh, who the music artists are when we do these podcasts. Is that going to be a pain? Yeah, um, I don't have like their LinkedIn or anything like that, but I can definitely list down below who the artist and the song is. Yeah, it's always going to be the Gap Band on the front and the back, but it, you know who yeah. we use for the segments in between are always going to be, well, not always. There have been times where we've, re- we've reused them. Because, right. you know, we're we're in a bind for time a lot of times out of here. We were already busy and then threw a podcast into it. <laughs> this one, well, this week's was, uh, or today's was Gary Clark Jr. Yeah, so he's in both segments. So, um, yeah, maybe it's just easier to just go ahead and tell yeah, him. Yeah, it might Gary, be. <laughs> Gary Clark Jr. When my... Uh, what was that one up in something city? Well, just look up Gary Clark Jr., y'all. Yeah. I can't think of the names right now. But that's not important because we're into the main topic. And it's really going to be a twofold thing. And the first thing is do the opposite. What do I mean by that? Do the opposite of what you see everybody else doing. Okay, let's start with the music here. Let's start with this podcast. Okay, every farm podcast that you hear out there generally is following the same exact... I'm not dogging these people because there are some good ones out there. Don't get me wrong. But generally, it's, you know, farm kind of music coming in. And farm kind of music coming out. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I was thinking when we did this podcast, if we're going to do it, then it has to be completely different from everybody else. It has to be something like, okay, how many farm podcasts are ever going to have a gap band coming in and out? Not any of them that I have heard of. (laughs) Well, that's the point is that I'm thinking, okay, well, we cover the meat and potatoes on YouTube. Here, we can go into greater detail and talk about some of the things that we'd rather talk about, things that might be more impactful, things that make sense. And when it comes to the format of this podcast, we leave it upbeat. Um, we're we're a naturally um, comedic family, I guess you could say, at least when it comes to me and William, for the most part. And I'm like, well, why suppress that? I mean, we don't suppress anything in the YouTube videos, but why not let that shine? That's the total opposite of what everybody else is doing out there in a farm kind of podcast or or definitely a permaculture podcast. Yeah, definitely. Like just speaking your mind. Um, that's rare to find on YouTube. And not caring about the consequences. I mean, in terms of, look, we're in a place where. Not caring whether or not you're going to offend certain people. You have to accept the fact that you're going to offend certain people. And then just speak your mind. Right. Well, I'm, I'm realizing, I'm realizing that based on what I've said before, they think, you know, some of the hipsters out there, some of the people on the hard left, um, you know, they're probably hearing some of what I have to say, some of what you say, and they're probably running to the hills and that's fine. You do what you got to do. Just not these hills. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stay out of these mountains. Don't come anywhere near Chestnut Mountain. You stay on Brokeback Mountain. So <laughs> No, point being, point being, um and get monkey pox. Oh my goodness. Well, talk about speaking your mind there. We just went took a U-turn. Um, it's your fault. <laughs> but no, even in terms of this podcast, y'all, we've done the polar opposite. Whether or not it's going to be successful, I don't care. I know that this is, number one, cathartic for both of us. I'm able to go into greater detail and hit things in an angle that we can't possibly do on YouTube for censorship purposes and for a whole variety of other reasons. But it is really cool to be able to do a podcast where I'm like, okay, we're going to put this thing together the way we want to. We're going to use the gap band early in the morning because you know what? That's kind of representative of what you have to do as a farmer. So you hear it on the way in, you hear that chicken crow or rooster crow in the beginning. And then on the way out, we picked a segment of the song where they're talking about, Hey, it's, it's, it's done in a hip funky kind of gap band way, but it's actually kind of hitting right to the heart, to the bone. You got to get up early in the morning. You're going to have to get up and (laughs) move. For different reasons, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're not looking for another lover, but you're looking, you know, you're maintaining the love you have. So that's really it. And then when it comes to opposites, because this is really a twofold topic, y'all. And there's things that happen in, let's say, between podcasts where, believe me, there's no shortage of things that we can discuss. Absolutely not. And I could, by myself, I could monologue for at least a couple of hours on any one of these given topics. But there was a series of things that happened that made me think about doing the opposite because I'm getting a lot of questions, um, more statements than questions. And they always seem to be, son, people that are having adverse effects. And then when you get down to the root of the matter, you're finding out that they just did everything the conventional way. Right. Yeah. Just like we were talking a moment ago about the cotton and everything else in our mainstream farming system. It's all collapsing because it's on a knife's edge. Yeah. Like uh, plant spacing, tree spacing, uh, tree organization, tree and animal Synergy. I mean, there's the large agriculture is missing the boat on all of it. Even small agriculture, because yeah. these are the people I'm hearing from. I'm not hearing yeah. from big ag and people are putting their trees in isolation out there. You're putting right. your fruit trees out there and then wondering why you got coddling moth going crazy. Well, you know, having a guild out there may not solve your coddling moth problem, but getting your soil right is probably going to go a long right. way into that. Now there's people out there that have talked about this ad nauseum, and I agree with them because I've seen the results of it. One experiment's unfolding as we speak right now, and that's with that peach tree out back. Right, yeah, that's that's a random peach tree that's not grafted to anything. It was, uh, I think it was just a pit thrown out by the previous neighbors. I'm reasonably sure because there is no graft union on that tree, so that's exactly what it was. But the point being is that that first year, that thing was a mess. Yeah. Didn't harvest anything, and then I pruned it. Then it improved, and then we have a black locust that I didn't take down that's next to it. Had you took down part of it, I thought. I took, no, I pruned enough of it yeah. to keep it in balance. And then we put a guild around it. And guess what? This tree, even though people would have said, oh, it's got a coddling moth problem. Oh, the fruit's no good. Well, we slowly but surely over these, this November make three years at this property. Yeah. And we didn't but even know about that. only one year of discovering that tree, really. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit longer than that. <laughs> or because, two years, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's about two years, I would think. But the point being is that if we left that thing the way it was in isolation and instead of working on the soil around it, we would continue to have coddling moth problems. Now it's getting less and less and less. 
And so also pe- think about the environment that that peach tree grew up in. That Absolutely. was completely overgrown. Over, it was thistles competing with everywhere. silvergrass. Um, thistles everywhere, multi-floor rows. It was competing with all of that, and it still popped up. And when you see those thistles and multi-floor rows and stuff like that, it's always an indication that your soil is messed up. We won't go into the the how and the why. That's really not even important right now. You know that when you see, you will never see thorns and thistle in good ground. Am I wrong? Nope. So with that said, this tree, if we'd done everything the conventional way, we'd still be in that same thing. We'd be spraying chemicals all over it. But I'm getting, I'm hearing from people that have a peach tree. It's isolated. An apple tree. It's isolated. A pear tree. It's isolated. And they're wondering why they're sending me questions, wondering why they're going to continue to have these problems. And they've been this way for years. Well, huh? Let's do some of the simple stuff. And look, folks, I'm not admonishing anybody out there. I'm just getting you trying to think outside that box. Quit doing what everybody else is doing. Look at nature. If you want a way to fix all this, look at nature. Fukuoka, the same horse we bring to the, to the front on in just about every other thing that we do, basically said, you don't have a problem. You got a soil problem. And he's right. And people like Dr. Elaine Ingham are basically proving what Fukuoka came up with so long ago, realizing that if you square that soil away, everything else works out. Right. So that's exactly what I'm talking about, y'all. So if they're telling you, go out there, raise, we raise our pigs in the most unconventional way. We don't, you know, the only thing I would say. I mean, we were told directly you couldn't raise pigs this way. Yeah. Yeah. We were told that you cannot. And if I said the name of the person who told me that, um, folks, you would fall over. But I'm not going to say the name of that person. I mean, I have the greatest respect for him. But the point being is that we were told that we cannot raise pigs the way we do. Well, we just did, and we just processed a couple of them. And we got two of them out there that are very healthy. We're going to talk more about pigs later in Q&A. In fact, I intend to spend a lot more time on that Q&A today because some of this stuff overlays with this. I've got some questions on the Fountain app, too. Okay, so we'll make sure we'll cover more of that. Um, Also, doing the opposite, y'all, think about this. Whatever you see a hipster do, you should be strongly considering doing the opposite. So you should have the same reaction the Punisher had in in the Punisher. Well, <laughs> you saw that hipster with the beard. Well, son, that's kind of an inside thing. A lot of people are not going to know what you're talking about there. But the point being is that in this fictional character, I mean, the, the dude detested hipsters. Didn't really go into the reasons why, but the big thing is the thing that we should take away from this is when I see hipsters, it's why I didn't get hot on the uh, Bitcoin thing, because all the hipsters were on it. That's why, you know... Back- and, and nobody could explain to me how it actually works. Yeah, it, I never, to this day, I mean, I have a little bit of money in it, but to this day, I still don't completely understand. I do appreciate what is trying to be done there. I don't fully understand it, and I'm not going to dog it, because like I said, to a certain extent, I have a little bit of investment in there. Um, and I see how it could be awesome. I just don't fully understand it yet, but hopefully in the, in the coming days, hopefully through this winter, I'm going to have a better understanding of it. But, um, also in, in light of other things too, think about it, how you're raising your family, how you're looking after yourself, how are you doing those things? Are you doing what everybody else is doing? Does it seem like it makes sense to you? And like a guy with a whole lot of sense once said, does it seem a good measure of health to be well-adjusted to a sick society? The answer is a resounding no. No, it's not a good measure of health. 
So why are we doing what everybody else is doing? You know, for a while there, I remember everybody, um, man, this was years ago. Well, not too long ago. We were still living in Kansas at the time, and then everybody I knew wanted a Harley. Everybody. <laughs> okay. I think that still might be the case. <laughs> well, you know when Harleys weren't cool anymore? When you see great-grandmothers on them. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, Actually, it was Actually, you see that all the time around here because the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see all kinds of grannies on Harley. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, if you think you're being hip, everybody else has got a Harley, so it ain't hip no more. Same thing with tattoos. When I got my tattoo, I got it. Look, I, I keep it on there. I really, I hate it because nobody even knows what it is. I was 16 years old. There was a dude named Johnny Dragon who did, <laughs> who did it in his house. He had a Johnny I'm, Dragon. The dude's name was Johnny Dragon. It was illegal in Oklahoma when I lived there. Me and my best friend Dion, we go over there, and there was uh, another guy, Bill, and I had thirty-five bucks in my pocket, and we were doing it because it was illegal. It was you could not get a tattoo in Oklahoma at the time. So I remember Dion got some dragon. I can't remember what Bill got, and then he got to me, and there was this this uh, Asian superhero on Super Friends back in the day. I always liked him. And I was looking through the books of the stuff he had stencils for. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, I want that. So he says, okay, that's going to be 50 bucks. And I'm like, well, I only got 35. He says, all right, I'll give you the $35 version. So that's what he did. And so I got this jacked up. I was 16 years old. I got this jacked up looking tattoo. And I somehow hid that from my mom and dad all the way until I got into the army. I made sure I walked. It was on my right, my right calf. On the this, outside. So this I sounds like one of those lame 80s movies, Dad. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was in the 80s, so yeah, you're about half right. But the point being is that we got them at a time where, you know, it was like, it was on the edge, man. You know, we thought we were doing something, you know, out of bounds. And technically it was against the law and the whole nine yards. Well, okay, fast forward to years later, I get into the Army. And I was at Fort Leonard Wood. And then when the first time everybody got any kind of liberty, they went to town and what did they all do? Same thing. You can ask your mom. Those guys did the same thing. They all went and got tattoos. And when they did, I didn't. And I was like, uh, yeah, I think I'm done with tattoos. Everybody else has them now. So it wasn't cool. But the point being, even in your business, how you conduct your life. And I'm saying this because this is the adaptation that we've made in our own lives is that when I see everybody doing something a certain way, if they're doing a podcast a certain way, well, that's not appealing to me unless I do it my way, and, and it's got to be original. If I see people doing a YouTube channel a certain way, well, that's not appealing to me. Um, we're going to do it our own way, and whether or not it becomes a success, I really don't care. I just know that there's a certain level of originality, and honestly, when I see everybody walking in the same direction, I... It, I got this natural affinity to want to go the other direction. I mean, don't you feel the same way, son? I know you're my son. Yeah, I mean, it, like you're being led to slaughter or something like that. I mean, all the cows that <laughs> are going the same direction are being led to the same place. Well, that's really the yeah. problem we see by and large, and even within the permaculture community. I mean... Yeah, definitely in the permaculture, especially when it comes to like these avant-garde uh, design methods like uh, mandala gardens or... I mean, whatever it comes across a lot in permaculture. Yeah. Where, you know, like Mark Shepard was critical. I think some people try to come down on him for it, but I love Mark Shepard, man. Like he was talking about, everybody was doing a uh, cob oven, but you're living in a high, humid, rainy place. Right. Does that make sense for you? Or a sun oven in Portland. 
or you want a swale just because it's a swale. Yeah. You don't even know the function of it, but you want one. Right. So think about those things. Or does a swale even make sense for you? Do Have you thought it out? Do you know what you want to do? And speaking of swale, son, before I forget, remember September 23rd through the 25th, you got the Back to the Land Festival. And then later on, September 30th, we're going to be doing that um, guild class. Yeah, that tree and guild planting class. We're going to teach you how to plant a tree, a bare root tree. And also how to install the guild system. Um, right before, also, yeah, right right before, before the, the it's yeah. the day before the self-reliance festival. So you'll want to look for that too. And also you'll be able to see uh, a swale there. Uh, three swales actually. And I mean, you'll, I will talk about it while we're there for sure. Right. So if you miss the swale workshop, you can definitely go to the tree and uh, guild planting wor- workshop and get a lot of the same information. That's precisely what I'm talking about here. So everybody, this is going right back. Like even that, those festivals, they are not like other homesteading festivals. They are the opposite. The of total other homesteading opposite. Festivals. I mean, in fact, they have been <laughs> the best festivals I've ever been to, and it's not just exclusively homesteading. And that's where and you'll recognize that as soon as you drive up John's driveway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll know that right off. But you you get an exposure to so many different people, so many different ways of doing things, and you make contacts there even though it wasn't as big a venue as like some of the others, some of the more well-known, um, I got to say that honestly, I don't know that I've ever been to a better festival. We came back right. talking about it for days, Yeah. but what do they have in common? These festivals I just talked about, they are not doing it like everybody else. They're marching to their own drum. Mm-hmm. And so with that said, you know, I want to move on into, so th- just to kind of come full circle with that, I want to make sure that I point out y'all, whether it's your garden, whether it's your food forest, whether it's your whatever, how you raise your kids, how you conduct yourself, how you look at life, do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. I got to be honest, y'all, it's working out well for us. It really is. Yeah, it's worked out so far. And do the opposite, even in some of the field, fields like, you know, permaculture, where it seems like everybody's marching to the same drum. Well, I know for a fact that we ain't. Yeah. And there's some others out there that aren't marching to that same I don't care what your ethics are at the end of the day. Well, I do care about what your ethics are, but at the end of the day, how productive are you? Are you getting it done? Are you doing anything at all? Or are you just having deep thoughts about, Oh, I'm a storyteller. I don't have, I don't like to go out here and get dirty. You're going to have to get, you're going to have to put in work, nephew. Yeah. You're going to have to get dirty. Storytelling isn't a profession in this. (laughs) Not until you reach a certain age, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So don't complain to me about that. I want to also hit on one more thing. Uh, This is like a twofer when it comes into a main topic. And like I said, it was inspired by things that unfolded during the week. And um, that's the beauty of being able to do this podcast. I can't even begin to cover this sort of thing in YouTube unless I do like a front porch thing. But it makes so much more sense in this format. And that is foolish pride, y'all. Look, I am not going to kid you. Do you know how many farms fall apart and have fallen apart? Because of idiotic, foolish pride. And we have up-close personal examples of that, don't we, son? Yeah, I mean, also, there's nothing wrong in recognizing that a system isn't working and getting rid of that system. You tried the system. It's not working. Either tweak it in a way that it will work or just get rid of the system. I go back to, um, I, I, I don't mean to beat this dead horse, but we were teamed up with somebody in the past, and they were also family, at least on my side of the family, where that foolish pride destroyed it could have been one of the best projects in all of america by now yeah it could have definitely been like a homesteading mecca for for texas it, it really could have been 
I mean, it had every opportunity to do it. And all it required, even though there were, you know, there were a number of number of us involved. All it takes is one selfish person just driven by foolish pride and you will see the whole house of cards come down. Idiotic things like putting chickens in zone five or because you have this. And this usually seems to be a big guy problem. Where well, was, was it foolish pride or was it fear? Which one do you well, think it was? Well, the two can overlap. So yeah. I wouldn't, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised that it could have been a little bit of both. But in that case where you're doing this, this way, for example, planting an orchard and we're telling you, Hey man, your spacing on these trees is way off. You're using an auger. No, no, this is how it is. Um, and then now all of a sudden your graft union is below ground and now you have a rootstock orchard or every single aspect in how you do this is all governed by foolish pride, but it's not just that example. I mean, how many marriages have fallen apart because of foolish pride? I'm not going to apologize. I actually worked with guys. Um, and I remember this one guy, and I don't want to say his name. I better not say his name. Um, there is a slight chance that he might be listening. So I'll just say it. We were working together as electricians. We were still farming on the side, not farming on the side. We were still farming. And, um, it was starting to become a more full-time endeavor. And I remember him kind of coming back from a weekend. One of those guys that really brought all of his problems to work with him. And he's going on about how he and his wife have been arguing all weekend. And then he's talking about how they were at the lake. And, you know, I first said, well, was there any drinking involved? Well, no, that didn't happen to be one of the issues, according to him. And then it turned out that, she was right about something concerning the boat, but they argued about it all weekend. Later on, when he got back, he found out that she was 100% right. And I said, well, you're going to tell her she was right. And he was, I mean, he was like, I'm the crazy one for even admitting, Hey, you're going to go back to her and tell her, Hey, you got it all wrong. He's like, no way, man. I ain't going to let her have that over me. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, do you not realize that if you go there and lay your, if you're wrong about this, you're going to let your foolish pride get in the way of this? Well, guess what? That guy ain't married no more. Or realizing that it's a, you're part of a team. It's not like you're constantly fighting your wife. You shouldn't be constantly fighting your wife. It, it should be a team effort. Well, for a lot of these people I know of, because of foolish pride, it's a zero-sum game. They got to win or and I lose. Or we don't both win together. It's a zero-sum game where one one party has to win, one party has to lose. But then again, okay, now this guy is probably on his third divorce now based on that mindset, based on that attitude. Yeah, You're not going to keep anybody around. And then when you're working with partners out there, this is why I'm not a big fan. If you're going to have partners, y'all, um, I do it on a limited basis unless I have very strong confidence. It won't be a long-term deal unless I have a great deal of confidence in that person and in their fidelity. Yeah. Go through like a, uh, for lack of better terms, a dating phase or something like that. Say, Hey, like if you're cr coming up with a deal, say, Hey, this deal will be good for like six months or something like that, just to see if this even works or makes sense. And then base off base your future negotiations off that first six months. But also you're also, well, hopefully before then you would have decided whether or not this person Okay, foolish pride. Once again, there's a lot of guys. Believe me, I've worked with a lot of people over the years. As as you do when you're a traveling journeyman electrician, um, you have different tool buddies. You meet a lot of people. You do a lot of different things. And then you find out a lot of the mistakes they've made. And one of the unifying, not unifying, but one of the um, 
divisive things that I see above all else is this idiotic, foolish pride, mostly among men. Now, when you get a group of women, there tends to be some cattiness at times, but with guys, it tends to be foolish pride, at least from my experience. But when it comes to your farm, y'all, I'm telling you what, let's say this is a method you were on and you feel like, oh, this is fantastic. You know that it's wrong, but you're going to stay on that tact. I can provide numerous examples where a person is grazing a certain way. Um, they find out, whoa, let's try some of this holistic grazing. Let's see if it works better. And then they find out. And then just because it requires a little bit more work, they revert back to the old way. Yeah. So yeah, that seems to be the case, especially with the the people around Greg Judy. Um, the people around Jeff Lawton didn't even try, <laughs> and the people around Joel Salatin didn't even try to to follow the correct practices and stuff like that. With you know that floors me. Well, you have world, you have people that are world renowned for what they do, and you think that it would be so infectious that everybody around them would be doing the same things. But why not? Foolish pride. Jeff Lawton's neighbors are drowning while on fire, and Jeff Lawton's property is completely fine but they can't seem to make that connection at all. Foolish pride. So yeah. many different times. It's foolish pride, whether it's on the job site, whether it's in your workspace, whether it's on your farm, or you know what? It might be you. Think about it. There's somebody right now, and I know there's a number of you that listen to this on the way to your job, and that's fine. Is foolish pride getting the best of you? I mean, I got my problems like everybody else, but I can honestly say, I mean, believe me, I have a plethora of problems. Just ask my son, ask my wife, ask anybody that knows me. I got my problems and I'm not on my high horse here. The point is, is that I've seen so many families fall apart, especially in these times, y'all, when you're wrong. And I'm talking to you guys out there. When you are wrong, admit you're wrong. Your wife is going to love you more. And if she doesn't, then you didn't get a homestead honey. You got a homestead hussy. So okay. <laughs> I thought that was going somewhere else. <laughs> okay. Well, point being is that really, I mean, honestly, if you want to know the quickest way to get your partner on board, and this is not without, believe me, I'm, I'm real good at repenting. I really am. At least I, I think I am. And when I step out of order, as soon as I know that I have, I don't waste a second more. I go to whomever I might have raised my voice to. Maybe I may have been short with them. Whatever the case is, I don't just say I'm sorry. I say, will you forgive me? Because it lays you bare before them. They will respect you more. So if you're leading a household or whether you're leading a farm, whatever the case may be, don't just say I'm sorry. Ask for their forgiveness. And go try this, for real, guys. Some of you little hard-headed hoopleheads driving down the road right now, you know I'm right. You're like, man... I can't stand this. <laughs> I think they may have turned it off. Now. <laughs> if you made it this far, try that experiment. Just do it once. See if I'm wrong. Lead by example. Go back to the people you work around, whether it's maybe not so much on the job as much as it is at the house, because that's really the consequential thing here. And then on another note, think about this also. If you're going to a job, the very best you have to offer in every single day is spent with strangers. And then whatever you have left, you bring back home to your family and they get the crumbs of the best part of you. So you're probably going to make most of your mistakes right there at the house. When you're most familiar, those are the people you hurt most. It's sad, but it's true. And I've been a victim of it myself. All right. So with that, when we get back, we're going to get into the solid Q&A, y'all.
right, y'all. Back with the Q&A. Gary Clark Jr., yeah. That's some jams right there. So um, maybe we don't list it in the show description, but you just, you know, search the name, you'll find it. Son, what do you got right out of the gates? So off the Fountain app, um, which we recommend people go through that that uh, platform to listen to us. Yes, Steady, tip a pimp. Tip a pimp. Yeah, there's a couple of those hashtags in here. Um, Steady Presence just... Uh, he commented, he said, just got off a call with the school district that I'm going to receive food waste from. Thanks for the idea. I'll try to keep you in the loop on Instagram. Cool. So he got the food waste from his, his uh, local school, man, school district. Man, I'm telling you what that, that, man, thanks so much, Jack Spearco, for number one, telling us about the fountain app, but also giving us, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's been a person to influence more people in the space that we're in like Jack Spearco. And I, I wouldn't doubt that that came from the survival podcast. So thanks so much, Jack, for giving us a shout out. I look forward to having him on the show here coming up pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. Steady presence also has a YouTube channel. Um, logic. He said, uh, learn more about fountain podcasting 2.0 Linux, uh, self-hosting. Huh? I think it's Linux. Linux. Um, all that stuff on jupiterbroadcasting.net. Um, so you can find out a bunch of information on that. So we could probably check him out to find out more about Bitcoin. Um, another guy was asking, can I find a, a rice knife for my wife's birthday? Actually, yes. They're up on the website right now. And it's there's, pink. There's pink, yellow, and red. She'll probably have different names for them. But that's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not pink. That's yeah. mauve. Um, I think that's it as far as the questions. I mean, there's a couple of awesome comments regarding uh, pimp's gonna pimp. <laughs> there's that. And but remember, there's a bunch pimp, of awesome. Remember right. also, y'all, pimp stands for permaculture is my passion. We probably ought to change that in the title of the pimp cast, son, so people know. There's periods. Are yeah. you sure about it? I didn't yeah. see it on mine. There should be periods. I yeah, typed in you might periods wanna... when I made it. Okay, well, I but don't think it shows up on mine. A but... ton of people liked that episode last week with a mom talking about the, like, staying safe. Staying frosty, yeah, ladies. Yeah. So stay alert, stay alive when it comes to all that kind of stuff. In fact, it, it, it applies to all this stuff. Um, let's get into this other one. I got an email from Matthew. Um, really, really awesome emails, y'all. Thank you so much. Um can't get into all of it, but I want to kind of get down to it because we're getting, you know, we're, we're coming near the end of this thing and I want to make sure I cover all this stuff. Um, basically he's, he's a pipe fitter, been married 17 years, beautiful wife, everything's going great. Uh, they moved to a larger property. It's on a hair over 16 acres in the right condition, clear cut about six years ago. Uh, it says we currently have a small herd of goats and planning to expand. And then he says, one of my main concerns about giving up a normal corporate job is the corporate insurance. One challenge that we have is that my wife has an unfortunate, med unfortunate medical condition that requires treatment slash surgery about twice a year. And man, that costs somewhere between 40 to 80 G's for Dang. each procedure. Since I haven't figured out how to overcome that aspect yet, most private individual insurance policies. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, well, the first thing that's popping out to me is that the medical company uh, has you on the, on the hook right now. Um, they're, they're basically selling you the, the, uh, cure to the symptom every two years or twice a year instead of, instead of selling you the, the cure. Well, maybe, you know, and when we've dealt with issues like that, I'm not, I don't know the nature of the condition, so I can't say for sure, but I will say that I didn't start getting any recovery and neither did Michelle until we started seeing naturopaths and chiropractors. Right. 
I mean, MD does not stand for medical deity. And, in, and in I mean, fact, how much do they get right anymore? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, there's one doctor that we know, both know that once admitted, and he's not just some run-of-the-mill kind of doctor. He's very well-known, very well-regarded. Uh, and um, more degrees than a thermometer, not a whole lot of common sense. But he once admitted, caught him on the right day, that the and this is a direct quote, and I remembered it. He said, the only thing we have right in, in uh, allopathic medicine is diagnosis. I mean, he said, yeah. unless you're coming in for a gunshot wound, gunshot wound, you're taking the wrong dog to the hunt. Well, he goes on to say, um, regarding that, maybe look outside the box. I mean, I don't know the nature of her condition, but maybe look outside the box. Pharmacist Ben, Dr. Wallach. Uh, there's probably a number of them out there. Dr. Ken Berry. Uh, there may be some legit solutions that don't necessarily require any of that. And he'll be there at the next Self-Reliance Festival, won't he? Uh, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Ken Berry is going to be there as well. And hopefully I'm going to be using his stuff here before too long. Um, he says, uh, as far as butchery goes, do you guys have a cooler for yourselves? I could butcher my own animal, but the biggest thing that holds me back is not having a cooler to hold the carcass for a week or two. Okay. If you're dealing with pigs, you don't have to hold on to it for a week or two. You don't need it to let it hang. You're dealing with sheep or cows, something like that. Yeah. You're going to want to, you're going to want to age that meat if at all possible, but it's not that uncommon I mean, Lord knows in the grocery store, man, they're not letting this stuff age. No. I mean, and you're sometimes blood we have right out either. of that. No, there's yeah. times. No, there's times we haven't. Yeah. But we can't. <laughs> right. But when it comes to pigs and stuff like that, um, it's not absolutely necessary. You know, you don't have to do that. So what you can do, one of the methods that we've done before, and I think we've demonstrated it in the past, is if you have like a, a spare refrigerator or something like that, um, we have taken all, all the shelves and then stuck pigs in there. We stuffed right. them in there. Yeah. And that's kind of a, it's not a fun cleanup job afterwards, but we have done it that way. Or you can do number two. You can cut this bad boy into primals. You can see that on our YouTube channel. We'll show you how to do that. Cut it in its primal cuts. Number one, it's going to cool off quicker, and you might be able to get it in that fridge. Now, that 400-pound sucker we did yesterday. He wasn't going to fit. You ain't getting, you might get half of him in that fridge. But also, her, rather. You might want to check out a uh, cool bot, that thing that Jason used. Yeah. That it might be really simple to make a room, turn a room into a cool room. It actually is quite simple. Yeah. Uh, Jason's done it before, Jason from So the Land. And he has a mobile unit that we're borrowing right now. Right. And when we came out there this morning, that thing was 34 degrees. So that's plenty good. Yeah. And it's from a window unit and a. Uh, like a little yeah, cool bot. gadget thing. Yeah, yeah, this little cool bot gadget that basically gets you through all that. So, um, you know, there's, I mean, he has a lot in here. I can't really cover it all, but really at the end of the day, when it comes to a lot of this butchery, that's why we, the strong bond method, which you can see also at Shelly's channel, which is, uh, strong dash bond method, no, not dash it's like slash, slash strong dash. Yeah. So that was made. She actually named it, man. Shelly's yeah. so sharp. Uh, Shelly over at uh two old crows homestead, check her out. And that's one of the methods where we've taken, like, you can take whole chickens, take whole birds, and with, and if you're in a bind for space, y'all, we've shown you how we could put 40 birds in one of those little uh, freezers above your fridge, and at the same time, I mean, absolutely at the same time, have uh, room left over. We could have got 60 birds up in there. Yeah, yeah, you definitely can if you flat pack it the way we do. Yeah, so there's also other ways you can go about doing this. Uh, we actually have a video on it, too. 
um, something along the lines of uh, fitting all these chickens in a freezer. Yeah, so we got 40 birds in there, and I, yeah. I went on to say that, you know, judging by the space that was left over, we could have easily got 60 up in there. Right. So there are other methods out there, and that's what we're trying to champion at this channel. We're not, is it's not just about selling anything, although we do make a living doing this, but we're hoping that we're selling you things that you really only got to buy once half the time. We don't have a whole lot of products that, um, bone sauce unless you need unless you just want more uh you really only need to apply it once um comfrey once you have one plant you never have to buy comfrey again we demonstrated that in a recent video absolutely okay next one brian he says uh this is lengthy also but man i really got to cover this man it was it was it was something else he says billy i had to write to you after you listen i'm gonna kind of paraphrase some of this because i know we're coming down to the nitty-gritty um uh, basically says that I've tried to get my churches to create gardens instead of paying landscapers to mow grass and all that stuff. Um, now as to what's been, uh, let's, let's see here. Years ago, I came up with this idea of what I call the amen corner. I decided to take about 10% of our property and preferably a spot that incorporated everything, uh, the place offered woods, Creek ponds, pasture. And, uh, basically in a nutshell, found himself in a bind, got sick. And, um, he, he basically told folks, I think it was on uh, one of the social media platforms, that uh, what he came up with, a lot of people wished him well and um, came into a bad spot himself. Um, and it was astonishing what all these people had done for I mean, he'd, he'd gone on to say we'd, um, some started a fundraiser for us and amongst the members and helped us, you know, squeak out for a couple more months. He says, what touched my heart most was that uh, several, several of the members decided to create their own amen corners. That's what he called it in his honor. And frankly, he says, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't conceive of a, a kinder gift. And he was in a rough spot and he was in there for a while. And, um, you know, despite having gone through all that, you know, he's given us an amen here, y'all. I mean, this is, this is really what it's all about. When you hear there's so many selfless people out there. There, there really are. There are numerous selfless people out there, son. And these are the people that I, that I never, I never expected through this, whether it's through YouTube or whether through this podcast, I never expected to meet so many wonderful selfless people. Uh, talking about that topic beforehand about getting the churches to help you like grow food, just letting you grow food on their land. Basically. I wonder how many churches would do something about you just going ahead and doing it like if you just like went out there uh a monday or something like that when nobody's at church go out there build a couple raised beds fill them and just started planting food i wonder how many people would say or and i wonder how many people would be perfectly fine with it because they didn't have to do an ounce of work i wonder if that is the limiting factor to a lot of these people saying no you know, think about that church we were going to for a while there. Yeah. They had so much land out there. We could have carved out a spot and not one person there would have known about it. I wonder if part of, especially back in those woods a little bit, As but I wonder if we could have ran pigs and nobody had ever known. Nobody it. would have never known. I wonder how many people, I wonder how many people say no. How many of these uh, people in the church say no, because they don't want any part to do with a garden or a farm or anything like that. They don't want to be expected to put in any hands on work. You know, at the end of the day, man, I it, it's really I find it almost disgusting at this point that evangelicals seem to be the ones, the biggest ones, missing the boat. I remember talking to the homesteading pastor. Um, he has a YouTube channel, by the way. Um, excellent. It's where I go to church. Um, 
and talking about this very thing and how some of the hardest people to get on board to understand what's going on are these so-called evangelicals. Sounds like a good podcast topic, Dan. Oh, yeah, man. Interview with him. Yeah, we'll have to set that up. I mean, first one up is going to be Eric Sider, which we'll have hopefully next week. And then after that, uh, when we, I mean, there's so there's a long list of so many people I want to talk to, and we're going to get to them too. And then honestly, I want to talk to a lot of other homesteaders out there. Get another one of which is the one I'm bringing up a question from right now, and that's Shelly from um, Two Old from Crows. Two Old Crows Homestead. I mean, man, she's just been such a blessing in our lives, man. It's just been something else. But she writes, "Hope y'all are doing well." I was wondering if you could uh, cover what pigs need to stay healthy. I just started reading Joel Salatin's book, "The Marvelous Pigness of the Pig." But the places where I've checked out locally are suggesting I give them warmer and all that kind of stuff. I really don't want to go that route. Um, Randy and I are getting into the breeds, and um, we want to do it as naturally as possible. I know you've talked about kelp and biochar. Can you explain in a podcast or a video the need and why? Okay. Well, She actually sent me a picture this morning um, of her uh, boar. Her boar was just sitting there kind of real lethargic, wasn't moving around and stuff like that. Basically the same thing we've dealt with multiple times with other pigs and stuff. I'm going to tell you how we dealt with it and how we deal with it. Um, okay, that last batch of pigs you picked up, pigs were nearly yeah. impossible to find. So we sat there and bought a litter of some worm-ridden pigs like nothing I've ever seen before. Too young to be weaned probably. Yeah, and they already had worms. So right out of the gates, I made no bones about the fact well, it took a while to even figure out that they had worms because when they're little. Yeah, they weren't putting on any weight. Yeah, we're like, well, man, what is going on here? But we had them sequestered early on in the barn and it's a very isolated place. So I realized that and I'm like, okay, well, we're going to give them dewormer. And what? And that was, yeah, initial, initial. And we gave them, might have been ivermectin. I can't remember exactly what. It may have been something they eat. I can't uh, remember what yeah, it was. I think it was ivermectin. No, no, no. I think you, I think you stabbed them. It, it might have been. I can't remember. I know that we. This is something. Or no, was it a drench? I don't remember. No, it what wasn't it was. a drench. It was. It was something they eat, and I remember I got it from Smiley's uh, farm store down the way, and we did that. And I was like, okay, well, good thing they're not out on the pasture, because then that would be a problem. Because when you give them dewormer, you're basically killing all the life in your soil. But you can fix it by giving them dewormer on animal bedding and composting that animal bedding. Well, and even then, you got to be careful and you got to know what you're doing. But we were in the barn at the time. And so I'm like, okay, I don't, I'll do it now. Once we find, we were a month and a half into them before we even realized the full extent of what was going on. And, you know, I'm like, okay, these guys, there's definitely something wrong. It got to be worms. And that's exactly what it was. But they were in the barn. So we gave them the dewormer. So we knew they were going to be in there. We kept them in there a while longer, giving them fresh bedding, all the things they need. So we chased those worms out. But it put them about, I mean, when it was all said and done, it might have put them a month and a half behind. Yeah. So yeah. with that being the case, here's what we do. If, they, if they're not already wormed when you get them or they, if they came with problems, and the only, we would have never bought these pigs if we were able to get pigs anywhere else. Yeah. So we got the worms initially and out And those were them. two hours away. Yeah. It was yeah. tough to find. Over in Statesville. Yeah. And we had to take all six. Yeah. So, and we're like, we only need two. So we're like, okay, well, if we got six of them, uh, we basically better be giving some away. So Justin and Metcalf Mills, we're like, okay, well, we need these pigs to do this work anyway. So it's no harder to raise 10 pigs as it is two pigs. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really as much work either way. 
So what we decided to do, and we did a lot of research and what we've, well, we've always done this, but we kicked it up on steroids and we really got it together with these guys because they had worms initially. So here's how we kept it out of them. And I can't even give you, I, I wish Shelly and anybody else out there that might be needing this information, I wish I can give you amounts because I really don't measure it all. So here's essentially what we give them every single day. They get comfrey and a lot of it and they don't eat themselves. I don't know who came up. I don't know who came up with this idea that you give them too much comfrey. They're going to die. Well, guess what? If you're in a place where they have free choice, I have yet, and I've said this ad nauseum, I've yet to see an animal kill itself when it had availability of things that it could eat. So they will eat. Sean and Beth Doherty even talked about this recently when it, concerning their cows. They will eat what they need, what they think, what they know is medicinal, and they will eat no more if they have availability. It's like, okay, I know I need this much, so they'll take it. They know what their body needs. So what we do, we give them comfrey. We give them Thorvin kelp. Now, you got to be careful. You can either give them that free choice. You can put it in its own little feeder, but pigs being pigs, they're going to want to root it up and turn it over. So I usually stick some in their um, in their feed. And I can't even give you regular amounts. I, although I know you could probably find out how much to give them. So you careful, might want to look that up. Careful with it, though, because you can overdo it. You can't right. give them too much, Thorvin Kelp. Right. Now, when you're using biochar or anything like that, uh, they'll basically take what they need. So I don't go crazy with the kelp because I'm combining with uh, other things. I buy a bunch of that powdered granular uh, garlic. We used to use that liquid stuff, and I, I think we still do. Michelle does... She buys that stuff from time to time. Believe it or not, another big help is rosemary. Also, dried rosemary. Can't give you amounts. I just put a lot of it in there. A little bit of diatomaceous earth. I know there's some controversy about that, but hey, man, I got to chase these worms out. And it's not so much that it's just overbearing, okay? There's always a little bit of that in their feed anyway, as I understand it. Now, here's one of the big ones. A lot of people don't know about it. It's pumpkin seeds, but I don't leave them whole. We buy a giant thing of pumpkin seeds and I stick them in a blender and I blend them up dry. And believe it or not, you can kind of layer it through the food. Now, ours, our pigs eat all uh, food scraps. So with that being the case, I can literally layer this stuff throughout there. So there's a little bit in all of it. And I do this with all of it. Why don't we do a video on this? I think we and have. You can see how you actually like make it step by step. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we ought to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to make sure we like remember the, to do that. The rosemary, the pumpkin seeds, all that. Yeah, I, I could have swore we did a video like that a while back. Well, we're like 500 videos deep, Dad. <laughs> it's possible. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did early on. I know we did it with the... Um, but that's basically, with that concoction right there, we have never had another problem. And some of these pigs I've left in an area longer than I should have. Or should have. Uh, longer than I should have. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast longer than we should have. Should have, yeah. <laughs> well, we're coming to near to the end of it. But really, that's exactly what we do. I can't give you amounts because I just kind of kind of eyeball a lot of it because we haven't had any real problems. But when we stay on top, but I got to be honest, you don't stay hot on those minerals, you're going to have a problem. And one of the big things is that we're finding out, and it's been something of an experiment, and I know it's kind of a risky thing to do, but in these times, I'm trying to ask myself, okay, biochar doesn't always make sense. Let's say things got really, really stupid. Well, it doesn't do well to have a fire. When people see a fire, they usually think, okay, I'll go to the fire. So making biochar or anything like it might be an issue. So I'm thinking, okay, with comfrey being the dynamic accumulator that it is, 
Um, we basically nursed that last pig back to health just on comfrey. Yeah, because we couldn't get close to it. Um, it wouldn't eat anything else other than comfrey, really. It yeah. was the only thing it would really nibble on. So I'd sneak up on it in the morning, throw a pile of comfrey up there, and I'd come back later on, and it was gone. And I know the other pigs had been eating other stuff. So that pig brought itself back to health with comfrey, and it ate what it needed. In fact, it ate everything there, and that pig is just absolutely fine right now. She did She did go on later to say that her sow just had some uh, piglets. It has like six piglets, I think, um, and is very defensive over the food right oh, now. Oh, yeah. So she thinks the sow may have uh, beaten up the boar a little bit. That might be – yeah, that's that's likely <laughs> He might be over well. there pouting for a little bit. Yeah, that, that could very well be it. But, look, when it comes down to this stuff, y'all um, – I'm, we've been doing this like, okay, what if you don't have biochar? So is comfrey filling the bill? So far it is. Yeah. We've been yeah, doing that. Is. I mean, as far as minerals and everything, that's kind of what we've been relying on. I know that seems like a risky thing, but with the way we farm, we have a lot of slack for R&D around here. Yeah. So yeah. we can do things. We do experiments that would be very, uh, very uncomfortable for most people. But so far, by not giving them biochar, which we haven't, We've just been relying on kelp and comfrey to get them everything they need. Now, is that sufficient? I haven't seen anything change in their body condition. Haven't seen anything different in their behavior. In fact, when we cut up those last two pigs, liver looks absolutely perfect. Yep. I mean, there's Every, not, everything looked just fine. Yeah, there was not one Massive. part of that animal, not one part of that animal that was not in good condition. So, um, so far that seems to be working, and it's working quite well. So, y'all look. Um, hopefully we got, I know there's a bunch more questions I didn't get to. We're going to try to get it into the next, next pimp cast, but thank you folks. Thank you so much for your support. Remember, stay alert, stay alive. 